What's going on, my people? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Welcome to the Seeking Excellence podcast. This episode is being recorded, uh, you know, just moments before being posted. Okay, so did not have a solo one done this week. I took my mic out to Chicago last week uh, during my work trip. Did not record. Uh, I did record one guest podcast with my friend, Zach Crippen, which I'm excited about, but I did not record any solos, unfortunately. So here we are. We're doing it today. Now, the good news about that is everything's going to be super fresh, which is great. And I like for my solo ones to be a little bit closer to, uh, you know, post date than the the guest ones. But nevertheless, uh, not ideal doing it the morning of. And I'm a little bit short on time, so it's not going to be as long as usual. But anyways, it's great to great to be with you. I think it's important to get one out on Mondays. You know, we got to start this week off right. I'm extremely motivated and excited today. Last week did a lot for me just being at Hallow in person with the rest of my team and getting to work in the office, you know, it's incredible what that does for you. We know that, right. I've heard um, many, there's, there's this one talk that I had to witness like 10, I got to witness, I guess you could say like 10 times at dynamic Catholic uh, by Tony Ferraro. And he was awesome. But he would always talk about like the power of being together, how much like science, you know, social scientists studying how much louder people sing when they're in a group, right? When you're in a choir, how much faster and harder people row on rowing teams when they're in, you know, when they're together versus when they're rowing alone. And so there's just something to that. And I had gone about nine months without being in person in the office. Um, And that's just like six or seven months too long so <laughs> work from home life is great but damn you got to get in there every now and then you know so uh tough week away from house hunting and tough week away from um which we still did house hunt a little bit but tough week away from some other things um you know just emily we we were gone for 10 days before that and we had like 36 hours together and then i left for six days so it's great to be back it's great to be back in the in the flow of being home i'm excited to podcast a lot this week going to crush some good solo ones this week, going to crush some guest episodes this week. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about a few great things today. I'm going to give you some personal updates on house hunting and where that's going or how that's going uh, later on. And then I'm going to talk about some like current event type stuff, which is exciting. Uh, I got a couple things lined up for that. But then first, I want to tell you about the 12th annual Napa Institute conference. So I was super blessed and invited to this conference Uh, runs from July 28th to July 30th. And I want to tell you about uh, the in-person option is incredibly expensive. And so I've just been blessed by the Lord uh, (laughs) to get invited to go in person and do some social media stuff. I'll get to do some podcasting, which is going to be amazing. I'm super pumped. Um, But what's really dope is they have this virtual conference registration that you can watch online. And what's really awesome about it is it's only $30. So $30 and you get to, I mean, these are, this is like, I mean, I can't believe I get to go in person, but even just to watch online, I would definitely be tuning in virtually because this is just like the greatest combination of people. If you listen to this podcast, then this conference would literally be your shit. Like you would absolutely love it. It's all about the beauty, the beauty, beauty, holy cow, the beauty of the liturgies and centrality of the Eucharist and our relationship to Jesus through the Eucharist in our everyday lives, in our, you know, lived Catholicism, um, in our journey to sainthood. So there's lots of masses. I just saw that on day one, I get to go to mass with my Archbishop Aquila here from Denver. 
Um, but dude, you got to hear some of the people that are going to be there and going to be speaking. Uh, former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, the Heritage Foundation President Kevin Roberts, um, Archbishop Cordelione will be there. Uh, Dr. Ryan Anderson, who wrote the book uh, When Harry Became Sally, which I'm going to be podcasting on in the next couple of days and doing a whole episode on that book. So I just finished it. So he'll be speaking. Then you got Jeff Cavins will be speaking. Um, Monsignor James Shea, who wrote uh, From Apostolic Age or From Christendom to Apostolic Age. Absolutely fire. He's going to be giving a dope talk on Vatican II, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Chris Stefanik, Father Roger Landry, just some hitters, dude. It's only $30. You get 15 live stream keynote sessions and recordings and then a library of on-demand video presentations. And so um, they have special offers for like $1,000 for parishes, $1,200 watch party that gets you all kinds of super dope stuff to get a promo code to share with your family and friends. And you get a case of cigars and wine, uh, which is pretty dope too. So this would be a great experience. I would do a watch party, um, you know, just just get a, a solo, you know, subscription and just do a couple friends and have some wine and maybe some cigars or some bourbon um, and check these out, you know, um, I think would be really, really fire. So look into that. I will put the link in the description. All right. So got a brief uh, little like emergency phone call there with a little work fire to put out. So that was a great way to start the week. So I'm going to see you if I hadn't mentioned anything, just had to take a brief pause there. So it was kind of at a good place to stop. Uh, talking about the Napa conference, which I still highly recommend and want you to check out. Um, but yeah, so let's talk about a few other things. So I was watching first take this morning, I was eating my breakfast and they were talking about Jack Del Rio talking about January 6th. And this was really interesting to me. So if you don't know who Jack Del Rio is, he is a man, I want to say offensive or defensive coordinator, former NFL head coach, but now he's a coach for the Washington Commanders, previously known as the Washington football team. Obviously one of the wokest teams in the NFL due to the fact that they changed their entire name to please the left. And so uh, Ron Rivera is the head coach and Jack Del Rio tweeted something out. Basically what, you know, three quarters of the country feels, um, at least half uh, feel that January 6th was a horrific day in our nation's history with the, the you know, the storming of the Capitol, um, but that it uh, ought to be put on the list of other times where federal buildings um, were destroyed or, or damaged, um, that people lost their lives, that riots happened, that were violent, uh, that happened all summer of 2020, uh, that just get like very conveniently ignored, right? So, we obviously, in the last couple of weeks, we've had these hearings for January 6th, and it was like a big deal. <laughs> CNN and MSNBC and all those cool cats tried to really promote it and uh, make it watchable um, from like the, the house floor and all that stuff. Uh, some pretty stupid shit, uh, naturally, as you can imagine. Um, but it was like extra dumb, right? It was like next level dumb. And so that's when he tweeted this was the other day when they had this kind of, uh, yeah, uh, extravaganza about January 6th hearings. And obviously, because he's ultimately a hoe, um, really, he's a slave to money and power and fame and popularity. So he retracted and apologized and all this stuff. And so I was watching my, I love watching Stephen A. Smith. I know a lot of people hate him. I love watching him until things get political. 
I really like the people he has on the show. I like the other guests. Like I love JJ Redick uh, talking about basketball. I love um, what's the white guy that talks about uh, he hasn't been on in a while. It's not football season. He does like a lot of the NFL stuff. Uh, I love Swagoo. I love uh, the other black dude that does football. Um, I generally like Kendrick Perkins. But um, but when he gets political, Stephen A, he's just he's just a bitch. And what's funny is he's the same way as a lot of them where he's like, I'm middle of the road. You know what I mean? Like, I'm an independent. It's like, bro, you're but you're not. All, the only reason you're independent is because like you're a leftist, except for when it comes to money, because you realize that that's stupid and it's just going to negatively impact you. So you're you're pro all things that benefit you and whatever's popular among the leftists is what benefits you because it keeps you out of like Twitter trouble and Twitter jail and all these things. Right. So you're never going to go back and like get actual backlash. And so you're really just pro all of the policies that benefit you, that behoove you as a rich American in the spotlight right which is all the woke things minus their financial <laughs> their fiscal policies right because <laughs> high taxes and stuff like that don't really vibe with them but he gets down with everything else for the sake of popularity uh and jack del rio he kind of retracted his statement you know what i mean he apologized like a little good boy that he is and it's just really sad you know because i think that we have to always put it in context of everything that's happened obviously it was a terrible day um, I think the majority of Republican leaders claim that it was a terrible day. Uh, I think most of us recognize that Trump was reckless on that day. Um, to me, I think I left a bad taste in a lot of Republicans' mouth um, uh, in a number of ways, but especially in regards to a future Trump um, campaign. The way that he behaved from election day until, yeah, the end of the, the Georgia Senate races like was just despicable and just like not great, didn't help. Um, whether you agree that there was, whether you believe that there was voter fraud or not. Um, yeah, I think you can recognize that his, like his behavior was reckless and he didn't have anything in place or any proof that actually proved voter fraud. So for him to do all this was pretty crazy. Now, that being said, there was a lot of people who peacefully protested at the January 6th event. Most of those people went home. And then one of the most suspect and weird things that ever happened with police, like literally escorting and letting people into the Capitol building, um, nobody getting hurt and people acting like it was a second 9-11. So, yeah, I don't know. We live in a weird, a weird time with a lot of weird people. So that's kind of that. The other thing that's happened since last time I podcasted was... Um, Nancy Pelosi got dunked on by uh, Archbishop Cordelione. Um, and I say that very facetiously uh, and just kind of being silly, but it is serious. And I think that one of the most important things that happened with that, um, first, let me give a review of what happened in case you didn't know, which I think most people that listen to this probably do know. Archbishop Cordelione, uh, Cordelione, I don't know how you say it. I forget sometimes. And this is one of those times. But he said that uh, Nancy Pelosi is not to receive uh, the Eucharist in his archdiocese, which he it's well within his rights. It's well within his responsibility, you could even argue, uh, very easily argue, as an archbishop to uphold these standards and especially to address public scandal and public sin in a public manner, especially after repeated attempts to try to address it privately. If you want a detailed experience and podcast on that, I would encourage you to check out the Glory of Purpose podcast, where she interviewed the Archbishop himself, 
and asked him, you know, to tell her about the story. I thought it was really great. I thought he explained everything perfectly. Obviously, none of the leftists who were extraordinarily upset about this would um, listen to that. Uh, even the liberal Catholics, oh, it was a rough time. Every, everything that happens in the news or whatever, like liberal Catholics, just it's amazing how constantly wrong they can be. You know, there's like all these things that happen. It's like every time Roe v. Wade, you know, leaking uh, this Nancy Pelosi stuff, like every time anything happens, they're just like not on the church's side, which is almost impressive. You have to at least respect their consistency, I suppose. But one of the bad things that happened, I think, within that was people. I, I think it's easy and I get this way, too, because I despise Nancy Pelosi. Um, very much not a fan, as you can probably imagine. But she, um, a lot of people like kind of rejoiced. I think, uh, you know, it's very tempting to like rejoice in those times. And it's just like, it's just not the move to put it simply, to state it plainly. It's just not the move guys. And it's hard not to, I get that. But we have to be really careful. And then her husband got a DUI like two weeks later and people kind of rejoiced and mocked that and stuff like that. You have to imagine her husband's probably not in a great place either. Uh, one, because he's married to her for many years, which sounds like a death sentence. Um, yeah, I'd rather uh, live in a torture chamber, I think, you know, like a Saw movie um, than be married to her. But I think the other thing is that if he is married to her and he is, he's probably not in a great place like spiritually, mentally, emotionally. So we shouldn't rejoice at his downfall because um, it's just not good to do that as Catholics. We have to keep that in mind, right? Keep things in the, the context of the greater battle that we're fighting in our pursuit of sainthood and all these things. So uh, that's that. But I do think it was a great move by the archbishop. I do understand the excitement and joy at just seeing bishops around the country um, supporting him. Um, Archbishop Aquila here in Denver uh, put out a great letter for it. They even went so far as to put out another letter just this past week that said that any Catholic politicians in Colorado who supported this very radical, we have unlimited abortion, you know, any reason, any time, um, any stage of the pregnancy here in Colorado. And he said that any Catholic politician who supported that, which there was a number of them, from my understanding, uh, is not to receive communion. And what's really interesting about it is, you know, technically, like priests aren't allowed to disobey that. Um, not only are they potentially entering into sin by doing it in the first place, but especially after your archbishop, and this was all the bishops in Colorado, right? So it's like the entire state. They have jurisdiction over the entire state. And, you know, to disobey your bishop is a pretty big deal. <laughs> if you're a priest, it's like kind of part of your vows. And so... Yeah, it's pretty massive. These are big moves that are being made. And I think they're really necessary. And it's really good for the church. I think it's good for those people's souls, which is most important. And hopefully it'll encourage them to repent and believe in the gospel, right? And to actually uh, support the truth, support the dignity of human life, uphold that, um, and all that good stuff. So we'll see what happens. Who knows what will happen. But I'm interested to see. The uh, other thing I talked about very briefly was we watched, I think I mentioned this before, it was like eight hours ago that I tried to do this the first time. So pardon me, forgive me if I'm wrong. 
But we watched Matt Walsh's What is a Woman last night. And if you haven't seen any of this goodness, I would highly, highly encourage you to do so. So I want to play for you one of the clips from it because I think it's really amazing. With the fluidity of these things, how do I know if, if I'm a woman? You know, I, I, That's a great I like, question. I like scented candles. And yeah. I've watched Sex and the City. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do I know? Yeah, Matt, that question right there, like that question is like when it's asked with a lot of curiosity, right? That's the beginning of a lot of people's like gender identity development journeys. So he does an incredible job at making it both uh, funny and horrific, right? Like it's terrifying and hilarious, which is a hard combination to nail. Um, But he really, he really did the damn thing. You know, he really just went and did the damn thing. And one of the great things was uh, they created this other LLC, right? Uh, It was like the Gender Unity Project or something like that to create the movie. And so I think they reached out to a lot of these people, social scientists, doctors. um, That person was a counselor. Um, And they didn't necessarily know that this was like a conservative thing. It wasn't mocking the transgender movie, but it was exposing it. And I don't think they knew that. And so he genuinely asked questions like this. And um, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. Some of the people uh, like her, like really were into it and were like trying to explain to him that like he might be a woman and he can explore his gender identity now. Um, even though he was obviously being ridiculous in saying I like scented candles and I've watched <laughs> I've watched sex in the city. <laughs> Oh man, he lit- he literally said, "I I like scented candles, and I've watched Sex in the City. How do I know that I'm not a woman?" Wow, and she's like, "Matt, that question, that question is is the beginning of a lot of people's journeys, and it is, it is the beginning of a lot of people's journeys uh, on the road of delusion." And so, yeah, and there's great people like her, um, even though she doesn't identify as a woman. Um, she never said what she is, but she says she's not a woman. So she can define what a woman is because she's not a woman. Um, a lot of people like that person uh, facilitate this road of delusion for uh, many Americans, many people around the world and uh, many kids, unfortunately. And so he had one person who uh, was a doctor who does surgery on children, one who's a pediatrician that, ex- that prescribes puberty blockers and chemical castration to kids. And it's just really sad. It's really sick to see the way these people's minds work. I watched a Trent Horn video today where he kind of did a reaction to it. Um, like I said, some of it's really funny. So another really funny scene is this, like, this lady on the streets. Like, I actually don't even think it's a lady. I'm pretty sure it's a, a trans woman. So it's a man who's saying that. But I don't I don't know. It's hard. It's impossible to tell some of these sometimes. Right. Um. But he's like, uh, <laughs> he's like, I can't tell you what a woman is because I'm not a woman. He's like, we, I, we can describe a lot of things that we are not. And he's like, do you know what a cat is? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, are you a cat? <laughs> Shit is gold, man. Let me see. This one's really funny, too. Let me see if I can play this one. What if a man decides that his, his gender identity is his woman? Either or my in the lane, I go and I'm in group. 
A woman has its own duty, and a man has its own duty, and a lady cannot duty the duty of a man, and a man cannot do a duty of a woman. Can a man become a woman? No. No? No. What about a transgender? Transgender? No. No. It will look like to, if you want to become a lady but you're a man, you have something wrong in something your mind. Wrong. Something wrong in your family, something wrong in you. What about? And so he goes on to be like, can you be a man or a woman with a penis and all this stuff? So he goes to Africa and he like interviews this tribe and this like village elder about this stuff and he's like and obviously they're like are you the dumbest person we've ever met like no a man cannot become a woman a woman cannot become a man and it's just like so funny because it's like juxtaposed with all these people who either are trans or detransitioning or are facilitating this stuff and it's just it's wild man it's just wild to hear the logic of some of these people it's wild or if you can call it that um or they're like rationality and excuse behind it but i think one of the most important things that i want to address here because i'm going to talk about this a lot more when i do my podcast on when harry became sally and i'll probably go a little bit deeper into the the um documentary on that episode as well but i really want to go into the book because the book was really good and it's worth its own uh episode and then i'm also going to read soon here irreversible damage by abigail schreier who's quickly become one of my favorite people to listen to in interviews and things like that uh, if you haven't heard her interview on the spillover with Alex Clark, I think is one of the best of hers. And then her speech that she recorded for the Honestly podcast is also really good. But the thing I want to talk about is uh, the question he gets asked a lot. He got asked this in his um, debate thing that they had interview on Dr. Phil, which was, why do you care so much? And I think almost the, re the reverse question that we should be asking each other, especially amongst Christians in America, is why do you care so little? Like, I think that this issue is, it's not there yet, but it's closing the gap faster than any other issue in the United States on like the greatest human rights violation and issue of our time. I think that it's really, you know what it's closing the gap on is, is sex trafficking. Um, I think that for a while there, at least in my mind, I had, it, you know, abortion, number one, worst human rights violation of our time. Um, number two, sex trafficking. And then it was like far, like, and, and I think those two have a pretty decent gap in between them, um, but are both really, really horrific and we're kind of in a category of their own. But forcing gender ideology upon pre-k kids and five to ten year olds and putting 10 to 14 year olds on puberty blockers and doing surgeries on 16 to 18 year olds with or without their parental consent in a lot of these cases i mean he shows he shows this book or somebody shows him this book that's a children's book it's in libraries public libraries across the country that's ages 10 and up, and it had graphic sexual images on it. Um, I saw another thing today on, on the Ben Shapiro show that was a commercial for um, 
it wasn't Uber Eats. It was, uh, damn, what was it? One of these food services that Uber actually bought, but it's a different one. And they were talking about like foods that are, are healthy or like good in basically in preparation for sodomy. So I forget what they called it, like bottom play or something like that. And they were basically telling you foods that help you to digest so you don't have like sloppy bottom play. Which it, I mean, like, and it's a commercial. It's like a, it's like a animated commercial. It was one of the most disgusting things I've, I've legitimately ever seen on, I don't know where, I don't know if it's a YouTube ad or what, but they put a lot of money into making um, this bottom diet. Let me see. Oh, it's Postmates. It was Postmates. Yeah, Uber Eats or Uber bought Postmates. So insider.com did a whole thing on it. Eat with pride. Yep, here it is. Oh, my goodness. It's like a 90-second commercial. Yeah, dude. I, don't, I mean, I, I would, I'd say I'd link it, but it's just horrific. And naturally, it's only available in LA and, and NYC. Um, so so that's, that's where it should be, I suppose, if it were to be anywhere. But why do you care so little? This stuff is like taking over the world because people won't step up and say something because doctors are afraid to lose their licenses. So are therapists and counselors. And it's like, I mean, it's hard to imagine. Like, this is why I think it's up there with sex traffickers. The hatred you would have for somebody for allowing you at the age of 11, to one, confusing the shit out of you from zero to 11 or zero to five, or sometimes even before that, even Fox News, dude. Fox News just recently had a story on about a, um, a family. I don't know if they had twins. I think they had twin girls, maybe. Or maybe they had two girls and one was older. But the older one, if it, if it was older and younger than it was the older one, I'm pretty sure. They transitioned this girl into a boy. The parents on this Fox News special said that they knew before the baby could freaking speak that it was a boy they said she was a boy before she could even speak and they give you just all these propaganda points which are put out in the documentary of things like oh we'd rather have a a son than a dead daughter because they juxtapose these two options that is a false dichotomy that either your child will commit suicide or you can give them uh surgery to remove their healthy breasts and make a fake penis and put them on puberty blockers and testosterone that'll pretty much ruin them for the rest of their lives and eventually like make them infertile, which we have no, uh, you know, studies or data that shows that it's reversible. Despite the fact that they all make the claim that it's, it's reversible. So one thing he says all the time is, uh, you know, Matt Walsh says, I care about the truth and I care about these kids. Um, I care about women's sports and women who are being robbed of opportunities. I mean, if you see these drag shows and stuff like that, one thing I never understand, it's like the pride parades, right? It's like, you can't just go out and like, it's not like two nicely dressed men who are just holding hands and kissing each other. Like it's the, it's the weirdest shit you've ever seen. And now they want to take more and more children to these drag shows. And I mean, you see the videos and pictures of like strippers, and they have kids like putting money in these strippers underwear and stuff like it's like 
what in the world are you doing? The sexualization of children. And then they have the audacity to tell you that if you make any connection between anything pride related and pedophilia, you are disgusting and you are wrong. And that is just totally off limits. But then they constantly sexualize children. And one thing I was just listening to the spillover episode, Alex Clark with uh, uh, Helena and Ryan are their names. There are two detransitioned, one's uh, male to female, one's female to male. And they detransitioned both of them. And I was listening to their story and it's super sad, but she just asked them about, do you see like a correlation between pedophilia and the trans movement? And she's, and the, the woman, uh, Helena was like, she's like, who would be more interested in, in making more prepubescent people, especially having somebody who basically has a prepubescent body, but is over the age of 18 than pedophiles. Who would be more interested in that than them? So you have them and then you have uh, the pharma, the pharmaceutical companies, uh, the, the trans, the, one of the, um, I don't know if, if she's detransitioning or not, but it was a woman who after many years, I think she was like 50 something became a man or, you know, transitioned to became, become a man and has this huge scar on her arm, um, is like devastated, goes through all this emotional stuff. Uh, has had, I don't know what she said, like 17 infections or something like that in the genitals and all these other things. Oh, it was horrific to think about the stuff that she's gone through. And she's like, I'm probably going to have cancer and die in the next like several years. I'm not going to live very long because of the medicine I've been on. She had a stress heart attack, all these different things. And just mutilating a healthy body. Like, think about that. Like, this was a healthy human being that was mentally sick and pressured by society and, and honestly, gender stereotypes to do this and now is going to not live probably to see her grandchildren and is in this confusing state and very unhealthy. But one thing uh, that she talked about was like, she said it was like $70,000 per surgery that these doctors make. And so it's, it's similar to vaccines where it's like, there's a very clear um, financial incentive to this stuff. And so you have to be mindful of that and you have to be careful because it's, it's, it's not just this like innocent, Oh, just accept everybody. Why do you care? Why do you care what other people do? And it's like, honestly, I don't really give a damn what a lot of adults do. Like if adults in Hollywood want to dress up like a woman, like, you know, you'd be here in Denver, like do whatever you want to a certain extent. I don't necessarily think that we should make it illegal for a man to dress like a woman. But when you start stripping in front of kids and forcing it upon everybody else, you know that in, I mean, they do this great, there's this great piece in the documentary on this father in Canada who objected to his, his daughter, I want to say, being transitioned into a boy and given testosterone and stuff at like age 12 or 14. I can't remember exactly. Dude's literally awaiting trial for calling his daughter a she after they started this process of transition. And he wasn't able to stop it because his ex-wife was going forward with it. And it was this huge deal. Dude got arrested and is awaiting trial because it's illegal to misgender somebody. It's viewed the same as beating the shit out of your kids physically, which is just absolutely wild. But that's not all we're going to talk about today. Uh, I just spilled a bunch of water on my desk. Don't ask me. Don't ask me why or how I just did that because I wouldn't have a good answer for you. Oh my goodness. What a Monday. 
let's finish this Monday episode off. That's going out very late on a Monday with a little bit of inspiration. So one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is uh, context for your goals. And so what do I mean by that? One thing I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, this house hunting jam is uh, very challenging, right? And we've kind of changed our goals where before we were looking for probably a townhome or a multifamily home that we could live in, um, just the two of us. But one thing we really want is for Emily to be able to stay home once we have our first child. And so because I listen to a lot of real estate podcasts and, and books and stuff like that, my thought was, well, we could attempt a house hack. And if we house hack it, we'd have to up our budget. So it's greater risk, but it's also greater reward potentially. And so that's what we're attempting to try to figure out how to do right now is how can we house hack either buy a multifamily and rent it out or do some type of Airbnb or something like that. Um, And that's made it a lot more difficult because that really tightens the search. So you can't just, you know, it's not just any house now that fits like our square footage goal and our price budget, but it's like a lot of other things and um, the filter just gets a lot tighter, right? And so it's made things a little tricky. And believe it or not, it's easy to get pessimistic here and there when things get that tricky. And so one thing I had to think about, though, is that with this deal, we could stand to make a lot of money, right? Whether it be with the, the uh, you know, actual house hunting during, um, if I'm able to continue to run it out afterwards, like it could be potentially, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that we could make. And one thing I had to realize while I was getting discouraged was it's hard to make a hundred, like, you know, hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000 on a deal. Or, you know, other, otherwise everybody would do it all the time. But this is a challenging thing, right? It's very difficult. And so I think the same thing has to apply to your marriage or your relationship, wherever it's at, to your journey to sainthood, towards your journey to physical fitness, right? Like so often we forget the context and how big of a deal what we're trying to do is, what, what kind of deal we're trying to achieve the dividends and rewards of that deal, be it heaven, be it a great, holy, fruitful marriage, be it a successful career, whatever it might be, when you forget the context of what you're trying to achieve, it's easy to get discouraged. And so I thought about this recently when podcasting with Father Nathan Cromley, an episode that's coming out soon. And I'm like, you know, when I was in ranger school and I was exhausted and I had to recycle and I had to do parts over again, I had to climb the mountain over again. Like it's super, super sucked, sucked. But the good thing was, and what helped me was I was like, I'm trying to get my freaking ranger tab. And that's a hard thing to do, right? But sometimes in life, like we forget that like having a great marriage is like, you know, a special operations school in the military. There's a low success rate, right? Few people succeed in doing so. And it's because it's so hard to do. And it's because it's so rewarding. And so when you're trying to do something that's excellent, when you're trying to do something that's amazing, like all of us are who listen to this, it's going to take you a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of study. And so trying to reevaluate in your life, how am I really committing myself with kind of the Mamba mentality? If you've ever read about Kobe, if you've ever read uh, Relentless by Tim Grover, a really great book that really outlines the Mamba mentality. He also trained Jordan and just kind of this all out, I want to be my best mentality. You know, I've just been really discouraged lately. We've gone through a lot of things um, in our first few months of marriage, a lot of difficulties. And 
you know, just kind of feeling lazy, just kind of feeling disengaged from my faith, you know, not really being on great terms with God all the time. And I've just kind of been really motivated in the last few days after my trip, especially to Chicago last week, that I just, you know, kind of have this renewed energy, this renewed fire, like I want to crush it. Um, and I have all these dreams, I have all these goals in life, and I'm sure you do as well. And I just want to encourage you a little bit today to just like really take in the context. You know, I talk a lot about having a vision, having a purpose, having a general direction and goal for your life. And dude, if you don't have that, you're just not going to make it because you're just floundering around. And anytime this shit gets rough, you're going to be like, what, what am I even doing this for? Right. But if you can think about how good you want to look or how healthy you want to be, how long you want to live when it comes to your fitness journey, when you can think about how little you want to stress about your finances, when you can think about um, how much good you want to do in the world through your donating and your giving, when you can think about what retirement life might be like, when you can think about and get emotionally excited about paying for your kid's college or paying for your family to go to Rome someday or to the Holy Land, right? When you can think about, uh, you know, hitting your, your professional targets and goals, when you can think about, uh, you know, what a great marriage and great family would look like. It's just not easy. And you can't compare yourself to other people's journeys. As Jordan Peterson always reminds us, the best person to compare yourself is who you is to who you were yesterday. And we just have to, we got to be gritty, man. You hear about this dark shit, man, between the Pelosi stuff, when you think about um, the, all this gender theory stuff, like the world is ugly and they're hustling out there to push this evil. And so if we're going to be saints, if we're really going to set the world on fire, then we have to really grind. We got to stop. And I'm talking to myself, man. I'm talking to myself right now, uh, just as much as I'm talking to you. We got to start praying the rosary every day. We got to start getting to confession every other week. We got to start leading our family. Man, we got to start leading our families better. Um, we got to start be, taking our work more serious, right? We're not just going through the motions. We got to start grinding in our work to be successful, to just put everything, whatever our hand finds to do, to do everything for the greater glory of God and to really reach down within us whenever we face that adversity, whenever we face the difficulties that life will inevitably throw our way to really remember that it's in those moments that we decide who we're going to be. It's then that we decide who we're going to serve and it's then that we decide who we're going to be. And so I wanna encourage you today to just be your very best, to truly think about what areas of your life are you really slacking in. I need you to start getting your, your butt to bed on time. I need you to start getting your ass up early in the morning. I need you to start reading, praying, exercising, taking this stuff seriously. Need you to start getting involved in your community, getting involved in your parish. Stop being a Roman Catholic, going to different parishes every freaking weekend like an idiot. I need you to start going to the same parish 90% of the time, getting involved at that parish, figuring out how you can get involved in your diocese, figuring out how you can get involved with the youth in your community and start to form these people and start to help. We need more people involved. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I'm, I'm calling you today to get involved and to step up and do what it is that you can do to combat this evil and be a force for good, a radical force for good in society. You're capable of that. I think you know that, but whatever it is that's holding, your back, holding you back, I need you to get rid of it. We need to start overcoming these obstacles and start to get after it. Fight hard, be your best. God bless.